0: I don't know about you, but uh, you know when I was in college and grad school, um, every once in a while, I would have an, an anxiety dream. I, I would dream about uh, going to class for the first time and discovering it's actually the end of the, the semester. And it was exam day. And I had done nothing, no reading, no classes, no work whatsoever. I, I had similar dreams as a pastor uh, on, on occasion. Um, I'd, show up and be seated in the congregation and discover, I'm the one that's supposed to be speaking, and I hadn't prepared anything. (laughs) Don't worry, I'm prepared. (laughs) Uh, It's important for us to be prepared. Being ready is something that is terribly important. And that's the theme of today's message. Turn with me, if you've got your Bibles, uh, or if you have your electronic devices with a Bible app on it, Uh, Turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 25. Now, Matthew is uh, known as the gospel of the kingdom. That word kingdom uh, is used, oh, 56 times in in Matthew. Um, The kingdom of heaven is used 23 times, and the kingdom of God is used four times. This passage that we're going to be reading and uh, talking about today is a parable of the kingdom. Um, It's the kingdom of heaven, of course, and how to get there. Now, back in Amos, uh, chapter three, verse seven, it says, "'Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing "'without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets.'" And in this particular case of the passage we're looking at today, Jesus is the prophet. This is a prophetic passage, uh, and we need to recognize that Jesus is telling us what is going to happen. Now, the uh, primary um, requirement for a a true prophet and a true prophecy is 100% accuracy. And we see through many, many prophecies in the Old Testament, 100% accurate, uh, they happen. And we have a bunch of prophecies in Scripture, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, pointing to what's about to happen in our future, in in the days that we live in and and going forward. So this is a a prophetic passage. Now, I realize that there are strong differences in how people approach eschatology or understand eschatology. Eschatology, the study of last things. Um, But there is so much in our scripture that that God has given us uh, that is talking about the last things um, now, you may be pre mill, or you may have heard these terms pre mill, post mill, uh, pre trib, mid trib, post trib, or as my wife often says, uh, pan mill. It'll all pan out in the end. Uh, <laughs> there are lots of differences of opinion. And we need to recognize that those differences can be legitimate. Um, they, not, they are not something that we need to be dividing over or arguing over. Um, we just need to keep our hearts open, our eyes open, uh, let the Lord lead, let the Holy Spirit lead us in our understanding. Um, but Jesus is talking here. Um, well, before that, let, let's, let's read the passage uh, before we get into that. Uh, okay. Oh, I, yes. <laughs> I suppose I ought to use this thing here you got to understand, most of my preaching has been done before electronics. (laughs) Okay. Here we go. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Okay. Okay. Uh, At midnight, the cry rang out Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then uh, all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others came also, and sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But, he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you uh, do not know the day or the hour." Let's pause that right there. So this is a part of what's called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus was up in the Mount of Olives a couple of days before the Passover, a couple of days uh, before uh, he went to the cross. Uh, And he's talking with his disciples about what is to come. And so the disciples asked Jesus, in in chapter 24 of this this gospel, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So Jesus proceeded to to tell them about the tribulation. There's a word that we don't like to hear, (laughs) there's a word that we don't want to be a part of, Um, but he told told them about his second coming, uh, which he illustrated with a series of parables, and this is one of those parables. The immediate context here is about the imminence of Christ's return. Imminence uh, is a word that means uh, could happen at any time, at any moment. And that has been the uh, understanding of the church all along, Um, since, (laughs) since the first century. It's an occurrence that can happen at any moment. It's near at hand. It's impending. That's imminence. What seems clear in this and in other passages about the second coming, um, it's a very clear physical event. It's not simply a a spiritual coming. You know, he comes and you you feel good about uh, uh, about your relationship with him. This is a a physical coming, that Jesus is coming down from where he is now in heaven physically and will be on earth. And we'll be on Earth uh, through uh, the, the uh, millennium. Uh, so it, this is a a radical departure from where we are now. We we right now, actually, we're living in a day where things are not normal. Uh, do you recognize that this is, this is not the norm. We we've gone through the rest of our lives in. And, uh, you know, things were normal and we were used to it, and then all of a sudden things are, are in turmoil. Um, the second coming of Jesus is going to be a radical departure from what we thought of as normal. And it's going to have a global and permanent effect. Um, there's, uh, it, it's not a matter of simply, um, you know, a, a kingdom or a, a small Percentage of people. Um, This is the event that uh, believers have been holding their breath for um, for 2,000 years. Uh, This is the event that uh, the enemy has been uh, gnashing his teeth against. This is called our blessed hope. Um, Paul uses that term. Uh, and, And understand that. Uh, this is the thing that we hope for as believers, is that we will be with Jesus. Um, the events surrounding that time, yeah, we, we're, we can have differences of opinion on how that happens, but, but that is the blessed hope, the prize that's set before us. Um, G. Campbell Morgan, you may recognize his name, there we go. The second coming is the perpetual light in the path, which makes the present bearable. Uh, yeah, and, and I hear groans <laughs> sometimes, because life is like that. Uh, there is much pain, much sorrow, much grief, but we're given hope. Uh, there is a, a lot that, that uh, is uncomfortable, unpleasant, uh, even horrible, Uh, in this life, in this world, the way it is now. But we're given hope. We're given that to hold on to. Lord is coming. We'll be with him forever. That is a blessing. Now, in the context of of discussing that event, his his coming, uh, Jesus gives this little parable of instruction. First, I want to look at the uh, the characters here. Um, The primary character... And the, the, the character that affects all others in this is the bridegroom, the bridegroom. Uh, of course, we, we know that this is Jesus. Uh, we, he uh, used that. Sorry, I'm trying to keep my chin up. Actually, my beard used to do that. <laughs> um, we know it's Jesus. He referred to himself as the bridegroom in uh, several other places, Matthew 9 and Mark 2. And John the Baptist also used that phrase to describe him as a bridegroom in uh, John 3. We'll get back to the significance of that in a moment. But there are other characters in here. And that are the 10 virgins. Um, They represent professing Christians. And uh, I use the term professing. On purpose. Um, elsewhere, uh, the church is described as the uh, bride of Christ. That's in Ephesians five, uh, and in Matthew twenty-two, we have professing Christians that are referred to as the guests of the wedding. So you know we have all these different pictures to to indicate uh, different different aspects of uh, of our relationship with Christ. And one of the principles of interpretation. Uh, when you look at a parable or an analogy uh, of any kind uh, is don't cling too strongly to every little detail um, because you could uh, come up with unintended conclusions. Parables, illustrations, have a main idea and that's what we need to understand is what is the main idea, the main point uh, of, of this illustration, of this parable. Um, so, caution in, in your interpretation. Don't get tangled up in the unintended details. I want to talk about the circumstance here. Um, in, in Jesus giving this parable, um, there's a central circumstance, uh, and that is the wait. The wait. Um, he's been waiting for the wedding in this picture. Now, ancient Jewish uh, wedding practices consisted of 12 steps. Um, and painted a picture of the Messiah and his relationship with believers. Um, the first step was uh, the selection of the bride. Um, the bride was typically chosen by the father, um, often with the agency of a, a trusted servant. Think of Abraham uh, getting a bride for his son Isaac, um, sent his servant to Haran uh, to go get uh, someone from among their people. This is not a racial issue. This was a spiritual issue. Uh, He he did not want his son to marry into the Canaanite uh, people because uh, of of spiritual blindness there, of of evil. Um, So he he sent the servant off to get a bride uh, in Haran for, for his son Isaac. Now, that's the role of the Holy Spirit today, the trusted agent. It is the Holy Spirit that goes throughout the earth and, and, and draws the bride, the bride of Christ, draws the, uh, the bride uh, to Jesus. Second uh, phase of a, a Jewish wedding. Uh, and Rudy, I give you permission to correct my uh, uh, pronunciation of Hebrew um, later. <laughs> <laughs> The, the bride price is the second step, the mohar. Um, it was uh, set to, uh, um, as a part of uh, that new relationship. Uh, now, it's not talking about a dowry. It's actually the opposite of a dowry. Uh, a, a dowry is the bride's family gives this gift or wealth uh, to their daughter, the, the bride. Uh, as a part of kind of establishing their, their, um, their uh, relationship, and home, uh, where the bride price is given from the, the father and the groom um, to the, uh, the bride, the intended bride. Um, and it was set according to the status of the father. The, the, the more powerful, uh, the wealthier the father was, the greater the bride price. Um, and we see the ultimate bride price in purchasing the bride of Christ. Jesus gave his life for us. Um, that is the price of coming. It says in 1 Corinthians 6:20, "You were bought with a price. that goes for all of us. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, to make us worthy or eligible of that relationship. Third step, uh, the bride and the groom are betrothed. Um, That's the Hebrew term, uh, kedushin, kedushin, which means sanctification. Um, Basically, the bride is set apart uh, for that relationship, no other relationship, Um, no other marriage relationship. Uh, At that point, the bridegroom and the bride are officially married, uh, essentially, uh, except that they're no longer or not yet living together. Um, but it is the covenant of marriage at that point, and in fact, uh, in Jewish law, um, required a divorce in order to stop it at that point. Um, so uh, that's actually the, the case with the bride of Christ. Now, yeah, we are betrothed to Jesus, the bridegroom, um, but we're not yet living together. Um, That's coming up, though. Then a betrothal contract is drawn up, Uh, the ketubah, um, the covenant. In fact, if you remember Abraham and his covenant with God, um, God told him to take these animals and cut them in half and lay them out. Um, And then... uh, he put Abraham to sleep, and God passed through the, the halves of the animals. It was the, the ketubah means to, to cut a covenant. And uh, essentially what it's saying is, you know, if you don't follow through with this, may this happen to you. Not a pretty picture. Um, but it showed the seriousness of a covenant. It's, it's, it's a promise on steroids. Um, it's a, a, a Continual promise. So um, that was cut. That was uh, that contract was was uh, drawn up, um, and that contract in in the wedding uh, stated the bride price, the, the the promises of the groom, and and the rights of the bride. We have that contract as believers. It's called the New Testament. Uh, that is our, our contract with, with our bridegroom. By the way, guys, <laughs> you know, talking about us as the, the, the bride of Christ, it's, it, sometimes it's a little strange uh, being a man. <laughs> we can't think of this as has anything to do with gender, it's relationship. Uh, That's important. It has nothing to do with gender, and certainly not anything to do with with modern views of gender. Uh, Okay. Moving along. (laughs) Uh, The next step is the bride must give her consent to this contract, to this relationship, to this wedding. This is absolutely crucial part of of being married, uh, of of this relationship. Uh, Sadly, some perhaps seated here or some um, over the internet um, have not made that consent, have not said I do to Jesus. Um, It has to happen. We're not saved uh, simply because we go to church. If that was... (laughs) We're no more saved by going to church than we are a uh, table saw by going to Home Depot. We don't get our identity, we don't get our relationship, we don't get our position simply by where we go. And we don't get that by our family. Um, If we are grown up in a Christian family, well, we still have to make that choice. Um, We don't get it by uh, living in a Christian country. Um, but again, we, we still need to make that choice. Um, so that's the crucial part. We need to say, I do. It's an act of volition, a, an act of choice, an act of will, uh, that's that's the soul. We, we need to uh, make that choice, receive that invitation, uh, and I urge you uh, to make that choice today. If you have not, if you not, have not said, yes to, to Jesus, do it now, do it now, the, today is the day of salvation, um, don't wait, don't delay, and if you need help with that, come to me, or come to Lance, or any of the others here, there, we have plenty of people who would be glad to help you, to, to think that through, and to talk that through, and to make that choice, but don't delay, then the next step, uh, gifts were given to the bride. And a cup uh, called the cup of the covenant was shared between the the bride and the groom. Jesus talked about the cup in the the upper room. Um, The cup of the new covenant. That's in Luke uh, 22. Uh, We receive the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts when uh, we receive his invitation. Um, So... uh, that's a part of, of, our experience as believers, uh, and a part of the the, uh, the steps of salvation. Um, next, the the bride had a, a mikveh, a, a water immersion, a baptism. Um, it was it was symbolic of um, cleansing, ritual cleansing. Believers today are are baptized as a symbol of. Spiritual cleansing. Um, it, a baptism is not a, um, a requirement for salvation. It, it doesn't give you salvation. It's a symbol of what has already gone on uh, inside. Uh, it's an outward expression of, of, of salvation. If you've never been baptized, I, I encourage you to do that. Not because you need it to be saved, uh, but because it is your public uh, demonstration uh, that you are saved. Um, we're going to have baptisms uh, this this summer, um, some in the cold water <laughs> and some maybe in the warm water. So, uh, if, if you're interested in being baptized, uh, let the, the office know. and We'll get you scheduled. It's a good thing to do. It's a great symbol and kind of an anchoring point of, I have made a step of faith to trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. After that, the uh, bridegroom went away. He went uh, home to his father's house to prepare the bridal chamber. And it says, actually, oh, that's the wedding. Um, it says in John 14, Uh, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And that where I am, there you may also be. Can't get any more direct than that. Um, Jesus is telling us directly what's happening. Um, and what the plan is, and it comes right out of a Jewish wedding. Um, He's coming back. Frankly, from my perspective, he's coming back soon. Um, But he's coming back because he is the bridegroom, and he is faithful, and he is trustworthy, and he does what he says he's going to do. So then um, the bride was consecrated, and set apart while the bridegroom was away building the house. I don't think Jesus has any problem with heights either. So. Before he can go and get the bride, uh, he had to build a house. It was typically either at, at his father's uh, property or even attached to his father's house. Um, and. The the father had to be satisfied that every preparation um, had been made by the son. Uh, The son didn't know when. um, He didn't know when his father was going to say, It's good. Um, But at some point, the father would declare, Time to go. The house is fit. Go get your bride. This is what Jesus was referring to in Matthew 13 when he said, but of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. See, it's the Father's will as far as timing goes. There is an appointed time uh, and he is going to send the son. From our perspective, we don't know when that'll be, but God does. The bridegroom could come at any day um, the bride waited eagerly for the return and, and had to be ready, but it was a long delay. For us, it's been 2,000 years. I'd, I'd say that qualifies as a long delay. Um, and that's where our virgin attendants find themselves in this, this parable. Peter addressed that issue of the long delay um, in 2 Peter 3. Uh, mockers were, were taunting where is this promise of his coming? Um, But Peter responded, the the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's, That's God's heart. He doesn't want to judge. He doesn't want to send people to hell. God's heart is he wants you to be saved. He wants us all to be saved. There's, there's that uh, conundrum of you know, l- the Lord's sovereignty and, and man's free will, and how do those things fit together? I have no clue. But they do, they, <laughs> they are equally taught in Scripture. God's heart is for salvation. So the long delay is at a mercy. Uh, God desires more people to come to salvation. And that's why the delay. I mean, he could have started the kingdom right then and there and, uh, you know, come right back after the crucifixion. No. Because the history of salvation is that, that God gave this age of grace for many to come to salvation. Then the next step is when the father says, go get her, um, the uh, the wedding party would, would head out and, and go to where the, the bride uh, lived, and, and the, uh, the bridegroom would return with a shout, behold, the bridegroom comes, and then you blow a shofar. Yeah, there it is. And the people would gather, and the, the marriage ceremony would take place. This is the, the story of salvation. <laughs> that has not taken place yet but we're promised that it will. This is referred to in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first and after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore encourage each other with these words. That's what I'm hoping to do today, encourage you with these words. Life is hard. God is good. There's so much that we go through, but God is good. And the promises are unbelievable. No, let me rephrase that. The promises are incredible. Believable. (laughs) This is a good thing. And then finally. Um, the, the the groom well not finally, this is step eleven. Uh, the groom would abduct the bride and go to the chupa or chupa. It's a chet. The chupa. This isn't a modern uh, Jewish wedding. It, it's a. Uh, it's made to represent uh, the the bride's new house, the bride and groom's new house, uh, and that's where the, the ceremony would take place. In uh, ancient times, of course, uh, the the uh, The uh, groom would take the bride to the house that he built, and uh, that's where the marriage was consummated. They would stay there for seven days. Um, They would, actually, the groom would announce the marriage is consummated, and uh, (laughs) that's a little awkward for me. (laughs) Uh, But they'd be there for seven days. And from my understanding of scripture, of of, uh, prophecy, this is uh, the seven-year tribulation period um, that's that's being represented there in the the wedding uh, ceremony. And then finally, uh, there would be a a marriage supper. After that seven-day period of of seclusion in the the bridal chamber, uh, there would be a celebration with uh, uh, all the, the guests uh, at, at invited by the Father. And this is uh, when the bride and the groom would share a, a second cup of wine. Uh, the simchat, the, the joy, the uh, happiness, um, the second cup. It says in Matthew 26, this is Jesus talking in the, in the upper room just before uh, the crucifixion. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom." That's the Simchat, the the next cup, the second cup, that Jesus will share with us uh, in the kingdom. And then uh, this is ultimately fulfilled uh, in the wedding supper of the Lamb, uh, which is referred to in Revelation chapter 19. Hope that gives you enough background on, on what this parable is talking about here. Uh, and not just this parable, but the history of salvation. You know, salvation started uh, in, in Genesis um, with Adam and Eve uh, when Adam fell and um, God said, okay, I'm, I'm gonna put it right and here's how. Uh, but then we see it through uh, little glimpses of how is God gonna make this right? This, this whole sin issue. Um, and we're seeing in this this parable a picture of kind of the end of that process. Now, I want to look at the contrast here. Uh, we got two different groups. We got the, the wise virgins and, and the foolish virgins. Um, the word "wise" there uh, actually comes from the Greek word for mind. Um, the, the, these wise. Gals, um, use their heads. Now, this is the same word Jesus used when he said, "Be be shrewd as serp- uh, serpents, be wise as serpents. Use your head, um, think." Now, other of these virgins are described as foolish. Uh, this term is a little uh, less than complimentary. The Greek word for one who is foolish is moron. It's not intended as an insult. It uh, actually has connotations of, of, of spiritual nature. Um, this is not just being stupid. It's, it's dullness to the truth uh, and a denial of God. That is foolish. I mean, all the, the universe declares who God is. It shows his handiwork. Um, but if you're dull to that, if you, you don't listen, don't, don't pay attention to it, that's, that's foolishness. The foolish take participation in salvation for granted. Um, The Lord had the same thing in mind in his message to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. It's it's a problem of uh, lukewarmness, of um, superficiality, in contrast to the the sincerity of faith of the wise virgins. God doesn't want us playing church. Um, There's no credit for showing up. Uh, what he wants is a true relationship, a marriage. A, he wants a, a true, valid faith uh, that informs our decisions, our thinking. Uh, he wants a, a relationship that is, is on fire um, and stays that way. This is where the image of the oil comes in. Boom. Boom. Oil in Scripture is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's used that way in a number of places. Having oil describes having the indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, and that's a result of having a relationship with the Lord, of receiving salvation. The wise virgins were true believers. Um, the foolish ones may have appeared to be the same, um, but they weren't true believers. They didn't have the oil. Um, so they were professors of Christianity, not possessors of that relationship with Christ. Now, we're not talking about losing salvation here. You could turn this parable into something like that, but that's, that's not what the intended meaning was. You're not losing salvation. These are people who never had salvation. They just appeared to be. The wise virgins uh, may sound cold when they say no. In fact, in Greek, it's emphatic, it's a double negative, which you can do in Greek and not in English. Um, There's no way or absolutely not. Uh, they said that to the demand to give up some of their oil. The point is he can't share that. Um, we are each given our, our oil, our, the Holy Spirit in our relationship with, with God. Um, Salvation is personal, it's individual. It's a one-on-one relationship with the, with the Lord. You can't ride on someone else's coattails. Um, it's, uh, you can't get into to heaven uh, on someone else's faith. There's no cultural Christianity just because we grew up in a, a Christian society or grew up going to church um, doesn't bring salvation. Makes it more likely to happen because you get to hear the message of salvation, um, but you still have to make that decision for yourself. It's a one-on-one thing. So, consequence. Consequence for not being ready. We see in this parable is that the door is shut. At some point, the door is shut. Here we see the saddest words ever uttered in, in scripture. I don't know you. I can't imagine hearing those words from Jesus. And I pray never uh, that none of you ever do as well. Uh, what a terribly sad thing. Um, for those who are truly saved, uh, praise God, you won't hear those words. But those who are not truly saved, time is short. Don't wait, don't delay. Make that decision. Enter into that marriage covenant. Um, Come to true faith. Don't let time slip away. Douglas MacArthur, you may recognize his name, uh, General World War II, once said that in war, all tragedy can be summarized in two words, too late. Don't let that happen. Okay. I'm going to give you some challenges. Exhortations, as Scripture says. Number one. Choose to receive salvation if you haven't already. Come and be saved. It's a free gift. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to uh, do good works to prove that you're worthy of it. You won't be worthy of it. Um, It's a free gift. But you have to make that choice. You have to come to Jesus. And again, uh, if you have not but want to, I'd welcome the opportunity to to help you with that. Take that step of faith. Trust in him. Number two, keep watch. The Lord is coming at any time. That has been true for 2,000 years, by the way. But as as, as far as my estimation, it's very true today. The Lord is coming. Um, Be ready. Uh, There are so many signs converging over the past couple of years that uh, I think I'm not alone in in my estimation that the time is soon. Um, Be ready. Live a life without regret. Yes, we can regret things in our past. Live today uh, for what you could do in your relationship with Jesus. Uh, Don't focus on things. Don't focus on powers. Don't focus on fame. Uh, Just focus on your relationship with with the Lord and his desire for you. Focus on, on the kingdom. Focus on... Um, storing up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust don't corrupt. Uh, That's what's crucial in life. It's not building bigger barns. That's a whole other parable, but we're not going to get into that. Focus on kingdom living. Focus on truth. And not be cluttered up with lies and fear. Uh, We've had a culture that has just pushed fear uh, in the past few years. It's craziness. Trust in Jesus. We're told to uh, keep our uh, oil jar jar full. It's actually not too bad. There you go. Go for another hour or so. Keep your oil jar full. Again, that's referring to the Holy Spirit, the oil, in our lives. How we respond to the prompting of the Spirit is is important. We need to live our lives in ways that that respond in in faith uh, to how we're encouraged along by the Lord, by the Spirit. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds, we're told. Um, Use your brain. (laughs) I I always um, contradict the wisdom of the world, which says that Christians are are victims of uh, blind faith. Uh, Just the opposite. Um, Our faith is not blind. Uh, We see more clearly. Uh, than the world does. The world is blinded by the liar, the enemy. Um, Trust in the truth, God's word. God communicates with us and he gives us the truth. The world does not. So use your mind and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And um, the soon return of Jesus should motivate us to reach out to those who don't yet know Jesus. Point out others to Jesus. Um, And Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, That's where it starts and that's where it's completed. Um, To point people there. We can't save them, only God can. I want to close here um, with a uh, a little story, Uh, and you guys could come on up. Uh, In early uh, 1874, there was an inventor uh, named Elisha Gray. He transmitted a few musical sounds over the telegraph. um, And he thought to himself, if I could send music, perhaps I could send the human voice. Now, at that time, the New York Times had run uh, articles on uh, reporting the predictions of a talking telegraph. Uh, And... The public was excited about this. They were really anxious for it. It was kind of the Scientific American and you know, uh, uh, sci- uh, you know just pointing these fancy things that are going to happen in the future. And, and talking telegraph was one of them. Um, so just one year later, Gray believed that he had the answer. He he had a tin can um, as a voice chamber and connected by wire. Uh, in the liquid and actually on both ends of the, of the wire. So one functioned as, as a microphone and one functioned as, as a speaker. Um, great idea. Um, however, he did not put his ideas on paper for two months. And after finally making a sketch, he waited four more days before he went to the, the patent office. And when he arrived there, uh, Mr. Gray was told that just two hours earlier A schoolteacher had come in through the same door with his own sketch, uh, which essentially was the same thing. And he had already applied for the patent. That schoolteacher's name was Alexander Graham Bell. Um, The the inventions were the same. Um, Difference was, Bell didn't wait. Uh, You've never heard of of Gray before. Uh, I've never heard of him before but we've all heard of Alexander Graham Bell. Point of that story is, don't wait. Don't wait. Um, If you aren't saved, don't wait. If you are saved, keep watch. Keep your eyes open, be ready. Jesus is coming soon. I was an old Boy Scout. Be prepared, That's, that's the motto of the Boy Scouts. Be prepared. We should be on our tiptoes looking for Jesus because uh, that's an exciting thing. That's the completion of all this that we've been going through and, and for thousands of years, uh, the world has been going through. This is an exciting time to be alive. Uh, though we face trials, hardships, pain, grief, there's plenty of that. But it's an exciting time to be alive, but be prepared. Keep your eyes open. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We are so grateful uh, for your plan of salvation. We're so grateful, Lord, that you love us so much that you sent your son to die in our place to do what we could not do for ourselves and could never do for ourselves. We praise you, Lord, that you've given us precious promises, that that you've, you've promised to never leave us or forsake us, uh, that you walk through us uh, through these trials, and that somewhere, perhaps very soon, um, you're coming again, and we will be with you forever. We praise you, Lord, and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.